Welcome to Mike's Notes. This episode is merely an audio version of a blog post I wrote called Moats and Podcasts. So if you already read that blog post or you're more interested in reading the blog post than hearing about it, you can check that out at thewaiterspad.com. Some podcast episodes like the last one about good leaders always being there will be original stuff that's unique to the podcast and other stuff like this blog post about moats and podcasts well it's just going to be the audio version because sometimes that's easier for people to consume some people prefer the audio so that's what this episode is going to be this blog post and episode is supported by Greenhaven Road Capital finding value off the beaten path Trent Griffin wrote a really nice blog post at the end of 2016 that explained why some restaurants do and some restaurants don't have moats, or basically why a business can raise prices and why another business cannot. Why can Disney charge more for stuffed animals? Why can Nike sell $28 socks? Why couldn't Nasty Gal raise their prices? Why do these things happen? Is there a big idea? Is there a theory behind all this? In his post, Griffin explains profitability in terms of restaurants, and we're going to extend his exercise onto podcasts. And But these are murkier waters. Restaurants have simpler revenue and cost structures. Podcasts are more of a patchwork, which will be one of the reasons we get to later about why this may or may not work as a way to uh, charge more or to raise prices. This American Life, for example, is produced in collaboration with Chicago Public Media. Hardcore History has a sponsor and accepts donations. Entrepreneur on Fire has ads and a membership community. So while podcasts isn't as clean-cut as restaurants are, we'll still try to answer those questions because it's not in finding the answers that all the value is, but asking these questions, going through this exercise as I wrote this blog post was incredibly helpful because it forced me to read Griffin's post and then understand Griffin's post and then try to transpose that onto something else. It was like going through the motions of a golfer who's trying to improve their swing. One. The conditions of the environment matter and can matter a lot. In the Galapagos Islands, there are seasons with more rain and seasons with less. When it rains less, there are fewer plants, and the finches with the larger beaks do better because they can open the caltrop seeds. These are seeds that if you could imagine what the most vicious looking Lego would look like, and if you were to pretend with the most pain you could get from stepping on a Lego, that's basically what these seeds are. They're spiky, and they look just incredibly painful. And so it's only the finches with the large beaks that can open these. In seasons with more rain, the smaller finches do better because their caloric needs are more easily met by what's available. The larger finches must work harder. So conditions matter for finches and they matter for restaurants and they matter for podcasts. What are some of those conditions? Is the barrier to entry low or high? Restaurants can begin as food carts or catering businesses. Podcasters can do everything from a smartphone. So in both restaurants and podcasts, the barriers to entry low, which means that there's a lot of competition. There's also limited opportunity. People only have so much disposable income to spend at restaurants, and they only have so much time to listen and read and watch things. So there's only so much that people can consume, whether it's food or entertainment. 
Another condition is ample alternative supply. Chipotle doesn't compete against other fast casual restaurants like Panera, but also Chipotle competes against McDonald's and eating at home. And podcasting is much the same. Podcasts have to survive the, in the attention world where entities like Westworld, Carrie Underwood, and Instagram are, in addition to all of the other podcasts. So the conditions for a restaurant or the conditions for a podcast are very competitive. It's easy for people to get in. There is limited opportunity, limited upside, and there's a lot of alternative supply. We can compare the situation of restaurants and podcasts to the one that Milton Hershey went through when he started his chocolate company. What were Milton Hershey's barriers to entry? They were actually kind of high. Milton Hershey had to apprentice with different confectioners across the country. He first learned how to make caramel before he learned how to make chocolate. So not anyone could start this chocolate business in their kitchen when Hershey was doing it. The second thing was there was actually growing opportunity. There wasn't limited opportunity. Hershey started to make chocolate at the right time. In Michael D'Antonio's book about Hershey, he writes, quote, in 1870, America had begun an immigration boom that would last 50 years and triple both the country's population and the number of potential customers for products like Hershey's Caramels. So here we have a situation where we don't have uh, too much, but we have an expanding opportunity. The third thing, is there ample alternative supply? And no, there wasn't. There was little competition, especially for Hershey's chocolate. Once Milton Hershey figured out how to make good milk chocolate, he was one of the only ones, maybe the only one, depending on your definition of good, who was making milk chocolate in the United States. So while this was a delicacy that people could have if, say, they went into Europe from the United States, it wasn't something that they could find here. There wasn't ample alternative supply. So the conditions, whether it's for finches or for a business like a restaurant or for an enterprise like podcasting, those conditions really matter. If you start your adventure in good conditions, you can really grow large. But if you start it in conditions that are less conducive for growth, it's going to be harder. Two. WTP is the MIT. What that means is wholesale transfer pricing is the most important thing. In Paul Johnson's short biography of Winston Churchill, he writes, quote, Churchill's had an uncanny gift for getting priorities right. For a statesman in the time of war, it is the finest possible virtue, end quote. Griffin gets this idea of wholesale transfer pricing from John Malone, and he defines it as this. Wholesale transfer pricing equals the bargaining power of company A that supplies a unique product, XYZ, to company B, which may enable company A to take the profits of company B by increasing the wholesale price of XYZ. This was a situation where Griffin's examples in his blog post really stood out as helpful. He explains that restaurants that rent their space are vulnerable to rising rents. That is, the landlord has wholesale transfer pricing. If they want to extract more rent, they can do that, and the restaurant has to pay that. Griffin compares that to when Apple sells a song for 99 cents. They are not vulnerable to rising costs from labels and artists because they make their money on the devices. Thanks to digital transfers, podcasters aren't captive in the same way. Podcasts and blogs can redirect consumers to different locations really quite easily.
When Morgan Housel left The Motley Fool, he was able to change his Twitter handle without a loss of followers. I didn't know you could do that. Unlike a restaurant, then, podcasts can move to a new location, like a new domain or a new RSS feed, and maintain the same traffic. However, podcasters aren't fully immune from wholesale transfer pricing. Companies like Midroll that service the ads for large podcasts, like WTF, Bill Simmons' The Ringer Network, and Doug Loves Movies, can charge more for ads, and they don't have to pass on the revenue to the podcasters. So these podcasters are slightly vulnerable to WTP in the same way that a restaurant is to rising rents. Three. We have to consider the opportunity cost of doing something like starting a restaurant or a podcast against all the other things that precludes us from doing, whether that's in time, money, or commitments. Few people run restaurants just for the fun of it. The hours are long and hard, and as we say about investing on the waiter's pad, you can actively invest or you can passively invest and have a hobby. Restaurants, then, along with active investment, have a high opportunity cost. Podcasts have a very small opportunity cost. Podcast hosts like Patrick O'Shaughnessy, James Altucher, and Barry Ritholtz all seem to genuinely enjoy podcasting. Like a restaurant, they may earn some money, but they also get compensated in other ways, like with prestige, recognition, education, and good conversations. David Chang compared opening a restaurant to graduate school. He said that both cost about the same, and they required a similar level of work and would demand his attention. He chose the former at the cost of the latter. That was his opportunity cost in that moment. Mark Andreessen says that opportunity cost is something he thinks about in his investments. It wasn't that smart investors miss Facebook, he told Tim Ferriss, but that some couldn't invest because their financial and professional commitments were elsewhere. It costs a lot in time, money, and energy to start a restaurant. With long hours and small margins, it's a full-time job. Podcasting is much closer to a hobby. The commitments are small, the payoffs multiple, and the opportunity cost is much lower. 4. The ability to raise prices means that you have a comparative advantage to your competitors. And this is often talked about in terms of moats. That is, an ability to raise prices or to charge less means that an industry or a business has a moat. And traditionally, in what I've read, there's five kinds of moats a company can have. The first is supply-side economies of scale. McDonald's buying trucks and trucks and trucks of potatoes can pay a low price per potato. The second is demand-side economies of scale. Ways users reporting traffic flow for other ways users is a way that makes the whole system better. The more demand, the more people there are using something, the better it is. The third moat is brand, something like field notes or Yeti tumblers. The fourth is intellectual property, drugs like Lipitor or Marvel superheroes. And the fifth tends to be government regulation. Restaurants have access to the third kind of a moat. They have access to brand. Jimmy Buffett, Five Guys Burgers, and Buffalo Wild Wings are all examples of this. And some restaurants may have supply-side economies of scale, like fast food, and maybe some intellectual property. Podcasts are limited to brand, sort of. 
If you look at the top podcast list on iTunes, you'll see that some brands like Gimlet, NPR, How Stuff Works, WNYC, and Panoply are all represented. But the hosts of the podcasts are really a, the brand. It's really a catch-22. Podcasting is intimate because the person is in your head, but it's hard to build a brand around a person. As Kevin O'Leary talks about on the television show Shark Tank, he likes to ask pitching entrepreneurs, what happens if you walk out of here and get hit by a truck? That means that your business is over because you are your brand. There's no system. There's no other moat that protects your ability to raise prices. Instagram passed this test. When I wrote a blog post about them, I had to look up who the founders were and how to spell their names. Nasty Gal Clothing Company did not. It's hard to imagine hardcore history without Dan Carlin. Malcolm Gladwell's name is the biggest thing on his podcast icon. Podcasts, then, can build a good brand, much like restaurants can build a good brand. But unlike restaurants, podcast brands are really associated with the host. You don't walk into a David Chang or a Mario Batali restaurant and you expect and think that they're going to be cooking their food. That's not something you expect. But when you listen to those podcasts, you expect those people. So while it's a good brand, it's only a good brand for that person. It's not like Panoply can leverage this Malcolm Gladwell podcast to make more Panoply podcasts. Maybe another Gladwell one but not quite for the overall organization. Five. Another problem podcasts have is that they face the public good problem. This is not something that applies to restaurants. Podcasting is non-rival. You, me, and Bobby McGee can all listen to a podcast at the same time. One person doing it doesn't stop others from doing it. Rival goods are things like a physical book hammers, or eaten apples. Domain names are also a rival good. Non-rival goods are things like music, podcasts, and roadways up to a certain point. Podcasts are also non-excludable goods. Anyone can listen. Excludable goods are things like private concerts, satellite television, and private beaches, whereas non-excludable goods are public concerts, public television, and public beaches. Podcasts are mostly public goods because they are non-rival and non-excludable. Podcasters know this because, like musicians, they supplement their income. Mark Marin, host of WTF, is also a stand-up comedian. John Lee Dumas has a membership program. Malcolm Gladwell and Tim Ferriss both write books. So, podcasting, because it's in this public good situation, faces the public good problem. Luckily, there's things they can do. There's things that podcast hosts can do that can help get around this. Talking into a microphone is similar to talking to a theater or talking words onto a page, which are two excludable services that podcast hosts can use. We'll end this episode from a quote from Griffin's posts on restaurants. Investing is about owning a partial stake in a real business. You must understand whether the actual businesses in which you own stock earns a return on capital to be a successful investor. The more different types of businesses you understand in this way, the more skill you will acquire in understanding another new business. Hopefully that's what we've done. When we talk about restaurants in this way, and we use these five different ways of uh, creating a framework. One, what are the conditions? Two, who has wholesale transfer pricing? Three, what is the opportunity cost? Four, can you build a moat around the thing you're doing? And five, 
Does this face the public good problem? Hopefully in talking about those five issues as it relates to restaurants and podcasts and other different kind of systems and adventures, you can, you can apply that to your own thing. Whether you're running a business or a podcast or a blog or whatever you're doing, hopefully talking through these ideas and listening was helpful today. Thanks for listening to this episode.